Welcome to Technically Minded, a podcast brought to you by Credera. Here we discuss hot topics in business and tech with our colleagues in an effort to share our collective insights with you. My name is Emily Crawford. I'm part of our management consulting group, and I'm your host for today's episode. In honor of International Women's Day, we're discussing diversity, equity, and inclusion, and what it looks like to break the bias in organizations. I'm excited to be joined by three others today to address this important topic. Nicoria Johnson, the Chief Diversity Officer from Credera US, Keisha Garcia, the VP of Digital Foundations Programs at BP, and Emma Johnson, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Lead at Credera UK. Thank you all so much for being here today. Can we start with just a brief introduction from each of you? Sure. Uh, my name is Nicoria Johnson, and I have been with Credera since 2019. I uh, started my career in tech, so that's my background. Um, and I've been running diversity, equity, inclusion here since last June. It has been an amazing job, and I'm so excited to get up every day and uh, pour into people. Hi, I'm Keisha Garcia. I'm the VP for Digital Foundations working for BP. I've been with BP for almost 16 years. Uh, actually, it'll be 16 years in July. Um, I have always been a big proponent of DEI. Um, as well as the fact that, again, from a digital perspective, um, working in this particular space for a while with trading, as well as a legacy upstream, downstream, and across the board, and now in enterprise. But then, again, with a, a big focus and lens on um, diversity, inclusion, and equity. Happy to be here. Hi, and I'm um, Emma Johnson, uh, Managing Consultant um, in Kudera UK's London practice, uh, joining again today from across the pond in a uh, very chilly London. Um, I'll be the token British accent throughout the call. Um, I am, um, as well as kind of my day job, focusing on um, change management, uh, process improvement. Um, I'm also Kudera UK's Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Lead. Um, so I joined Credera just about um, a year and a half ago, um, and since then I've always been involved in diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, I started getting involved uh, when I worked for a large UK retailer, um, and it's kind of just snowballed from there. It's um, always something that I want to be involved in, and I think we should be involved in. Um, but for me, it's just happiness um, and creating a sense of belonging wherever any anybody is. Um, it's hopefully, hopefully, as much as this conversation goes, it can be start to be looked at as the hygiene factor, something that everybody should always be looking at, which is as important as fundamental as something like payroll. Thank you again all so much for being here. We're excited for this conversation. I'd love to start by just giving you each a little bit more of an opportunity to talk about your background, specifically in diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'd love, Nicori, if you could kick us off. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. So um, I grew up as a, a young black girl um, in technology. And so that alone for me created a lot of, you know, challenges along the way of fitting in, of trying to have that balance of showing up as my full self and then also um, being respected. I always wanted to be included. And even in the moments that I wasn't, I really create work to create family feels for the organizations that I ran so that people could show up and be their true selves. And I think that looking at people as just people that are here to do great and amazing work and creating those safe spaces for them to show up as their full selves was just something that was very pa uh, passion for me. 
Last year I was named chief diversity officer here, but even informally, just using my influence and relationships and you know having deep conversations and trying to really listen to what people were saying really helps to amplify voices and hopefully provide some inspiration. So I've been on a personal mission to learn everything I can about DEI uh, since I've been in the space and just really trying to, to merge the balance of changing hearts and changing minds. I love the way that you said that. Keisha, what about you? So um, a little similar story. Um, I grew up in a single parent household um, with a strong um, black uh, woman, as well as raised by several black women that are extremely strong um, and just instilling pride in me, who I am, and always given 110 percent at being my best, as well as being an athlete in in a sport that when I first grew up, didn't have very many African-Americans participating, tennis, um, as well as just continuing to push forward around my corporate career and also what I was doing on a purposeful standpoint to make sure that we, that I properly represent in all facets. So I'm starting working at BP in 2005, it's been some time now, I've been focused on delivery from the standpoint of program project management gone around in several roles and now in the role that I'm currently in, but every single thing that I've done, it's always been with the lens of ensuring that there is equality and equity for the underrepresented groups. Um, And of course, specifically women and women of color, because when I look in the mirror, that's who I am and that's what I'm focused on. But also just figuring if I make it good for one, it should be good for all. And so that has been primarily my focus and my passion. And I try and mix my purpose with my passion and everything that I do. And how do we do that within our within corporate America? Because that's what it's going to take to be successful at whatever objectives you're trying to meet. So that's been my focus. And again, every role that played in digital. Thanks so much, Keisha. Emma, anything you would add to your background? Yeah, I mean, uh, all of the things that you both just said are just incredibly inspirational. And, um, and then only to touch on one point in that, um, my kind of interest and involvement in DEI and I kind of came from my parents as well. In particular, my mum, who was always involved in teaching and learning and um, trying to break biases that I didn't even recognise when I was younger um, in the in the local area. So whether that was advocating for superhero days to be actually focused on doctors, nurses, fire firemen and women, um, rather than stereotypical uh, princesses and, and breaking uh, biases that I didn't necessarily recognise at that age. It helped me go into work, recognising a little bit more, but it's been very much a journey of, kind of like, trying as much as possible, similar to yourself, Nicoria, and Keisha, to understanding all of the different areas of diversity and inclusion and how we can be more aware of the things that are potentially holding back or Holding, uh, holding back other people or yourself. Thank you all just for sharing a little bit more about yourselves and your background. You've all mentioned strong women and you are strong women. And this episode is actually being released on International Women's Day. And the theme for International Women's Day this year is Break the Bias. I'm wondering if each of you would be willing to share about a situation or, or anything that's happened to you in the past that represented bias, if you would be willing to share that with us. Yeah, I'm happy, um, happy to kick off. Um, uh, I think 
International Women's Day is such a great opportunity to celebrate women's achievements, how far we've come for gender equality, but it's also a day to constantly think and bring up important conversations and to recognise there's still a lot to fight for and a lot to, that is still ingrained, particularly uh, for bias, whether it's implicit or, um, or active. I think everybody, every woman, every person has experienced some bias in their way and everybody will be biased. And therefore, I think I've experienced it, I've observed it and tried to work against it, particularly for structures that are built for men, uh, for example, uh, probably within the um, more likely within the world of business. I think if there was one area of bias that I would uh, pick up on that I didn't really know how to describe until recently as well, it will probably be this an authority gap is the one that's probably I've noticed most frequently where women are occasionally or frequently um, taken as less seriously as men. They're more often interrupted. They're more often, uh, their achievements are more likely downplayed because of this authority gap up until the point where a woman is so senior that they are almost recognised the same as men. Um, I've just started reading a book on it and it's absolutely uh, enlightening. And it also goes into very much how uh, women of colour, women, trans women and women who aren't able-bodied are also more impacted by this authority gap. But that's probably the biggest thing that I've, I've recognised. So I'll, I'll pick up from here. And, and that's a good point, Emma. Along with the authority gap, I think it's just the me being in technology, all of us being in technology and also in the um, oil and gas or energy industry as a female, you're, you're, you're almost likely to be one of the only ones, if not one of two people around the table, around the leadership table. Uh, unfortunately, that's one of the things that we absolutely need to work to push forward to have more uh, women represented at the table. But the thing that we I always get run into would be being around me not knowing technology or me not being technical, or there's always that assumption that I don't know or or I don't know as much detail as the men and or anytime things are asked of me, someone will speak before I can even open my mouth because um, again, it, it's, it's always that assumption that you don't know. So it's always just breaking that assumption as well as getting more women in STEM, specifically technology, because again, we don't see a lot of women in technology around the leadership table. And working really hard to push that forward, but also working really hard to not feel as if every single time you're at the table that you have to prove yourself because clearly you're capable because if you weren't, you wouldn't be there. <laughs> so it, it's about not getting caught up in managing the perception and therefore taking your focus away from doing the great job that you're capable of doing. And it's always that constant battle as to how do I, do I need to get in here and prove myself versus focusing on, no, I'm not going to focus on proving myself. I'm going to focus on doing 110% of the best job that I can and that I know that I'm capable of doing and allowing others to deal with their perceptions and their thoughts and allowing your work to speak for itself. So it's that constant battle and balance between that because there's always that, that perception that you as a woman don't fit the bill or you're here because of numbers or whatever the case may be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'll tag in on that. I think I echo exactly what Emma said and Keisha said in terms of the authority gap, right? And it, it's interesting because being the only 
my intersectionality is black and woman. So sometimes I can't tell which of those dimensions may cause uh, trigger someone's biases. But I've been in rooms where my white male peers are leading at exactly the same level as me. Um, And one situation I remember in particular, a decision about restructuring organization was happening. And I come into the meeting on time. But the social network amongst my peers and my uh, my CIO at the time basically allowed them to come to a decision without me because they had that informal social network. And so when I think about that on the macro level, it's like, how do we create these places and relationships for women, for people of color to actually kind of balance out the natural kind of, hey, I'm going to bring my buddy or my friend along and we're going to, you know, talk business on the golf course, talk business, you know, at lunch, et cetera. Like, how do we make sure that we are looking at that from a corporate perspective to create structures that can kind of reverse out some of that, whether that's, you know, mentoring programs or actually intentionally building relationships. So, you know, the social networks is an interesting kind of area to draw a circle around. Um, The second thing I'll say is that, you know, a lot of the times the emotional aspect is brought up in my performance reviews, in my interactions with my bosses, you know, and I think that that is an area that companies have to be really careful of because, um, Everyone can evoke emotions, but it's not fair if that bias lends itself towards a woman wearing her emotions on her sleeve or, well, why would you, you know, say something like that in a meeting where my counterpart might say it and it would be thought of totally differently. So just making sure that we're careful about, especially when we're modeling for our female leaders in our organization, that it's okay to show up as your true self, but then providing the support that kind of counters those biases when they they do happen. Can I I just follow on to a small point uh, from that, Nicoria? I absolutely resonate with everything you both just said, and particularly the emotional part. And again, that being tight taken into women being sometimes taken less seriously than men one emotion uh, we kind of sometimes disregard that anger and assertion like mm-hmm. or aggression is also an emotion but that is sometimes actually rewarded within the workplace when you are seen to be assertive you're pushing your point across or you're um angry about a certain point that you feel is wrong but if you take that to the emotional point that is almost because it's connect there's connotations with it being feminine that has been previously disregarded when it can be as powerful or um, as useful in terms of getting your point across and supporting other people throughout a change journey, particularly within my world. Whether it's hypocrisy or whether it's uh, another level of bias, how anger and then other emotions such as sadness um, are kind of seen very differently um, and they're almost gendered in themselves and particularly the language that we can use to describe women, people of colour, women of colour within performance reviews um, without recognising that that is based on a structural bias, sexism, racism that we're all unfortunately, um, that it was had ingrained uh, for such a long period of time. But you can see the bias every day when you look at the representation of whether it's the FTSE, whether it's um, at the largest companies in America, the representation is, isn't there. It isn't there yet. And there's got to be some reason for it because it's not performance. We've seen that time and time again. Yeah. And I know that we're probably going to need to push on, but just I I love the use of assertive, the word assertive, um, assertive versus aggressive. 
there's this saying in the U.S. around angry black woman. And um, and it, it's a stereotype that I am constantly battling against. Because, again, as you've said, as both of you have said, for my male counterparts, that could be just passion and assertiveness. But for me, it's aggression and angry. Um, and it's always coming across that way because that's, again, the perception that that I'd be perceived as from being a black woman and the stereotype that, that I've seen um, myself being placed under or other black um, women have been placed in that. Whereas again, I could say one thing a certain way with a lot of passion and it won't be look at, looked at as assertiveness and or passion. It will be looked at as anger and aggression. So those are the things that it's, it's a constant trying to get the right uh, again, balance and to just dis- dis- dispel that myth and or stereotype that that is anger. It is passion and it needs to be looked at at the same level. There's a there's a grace that's given to men when it comes to um, seeing their full potential for roles that that they may go after, that they may not necessarily be fully qualified for, but they'll go after them anyway. Whereas women, we may not necessarily be fully qualified for those roles, and we kind of shy away from that because we feel like we have to touch every every point on that role. And that's because a lot of the times we're not given that grace for someone to see our full potential. However, they can see a male's full potential for that role and therefore be given that opportunity. So it's about how do we continue to push the envelope of making or having the level playing field of having the equal opportunities to things, not having to prove ourselves before we get those roles, being given that same grace. So those are some of the things and the challenges that we have to work to work through as well. Thank you all so much for sharing. I know a lot of this is resonating. I'm seeing a lot of a lot of nodding heads. And Nicoria, it looks like you perked up at one one portion of that in particular. Was there something else you wanted to share? Yeah. And I mean, I I have on my notes here, angry black woman to be able to talk to that. So Keisha's covered that, check that box. But I think also when we're looking at our women and girls and education and all the spaces, you know, some of my coaches have mentioned, well, these guys are calling me bossy, right? Well, that's her job. Her job is to lead and manage the project to keep everyone to task. And yet, it's perceived or received as she's being bossy or or too authoritative. Um, and then there's one more myth that just drives me crazy that companies um, are lowering their bar when they are recruiting women minority talent. Why would that even, that should not exist. And, and it's really kind of frustrating, it's very frustrating to me to hear those things, even if they're kind of unsaid. And they're unsaid by, oh, we need to invest in more apprenticeship programs, or we need to bring in, um, you know, support structures that are almost saying that the experiences and the education levels are different. And they're not. They're amazing people in both the community of women, community of um, people that identify as women, and and people of color that are just waiting um, for us to help them with access and to help enable the opportunity. Thanks for the follow-up, Nicoria. I did want to bring back one topic that you mentioned, which was the idea of that social network or maybe even that unspoken social network, which you brought up, Nicoria. I wanted to see if Emma or Akisha, you had any other thoughts or experiences on that as well. So I'm assuming that um, from the standpoint of working together and across across the aisles and everything else around the networking, I, I specifically say that that's the, that's the way that that um, the gender gaps 
the equality gaps, the equity gaps, those are the, that's the way that it's going to have to be tackled. It's a huge problem. And trying to do that as one individual company or one individual person, it's, it's too large of a feat to overcome just alone. And that's part of the problem is that we women don't work together as often as we should and, and or could. And not necessarily just women working together, but companies working together, which is the one thing that I'm absolutely extremely proud of that I, I'm not a respecter of you have to be from BP or you have to be um, whatever XYZ company. I'm happy to work with anyone across the aisle, which here just being excited and honored to be working with Kadera on this and Nicoria and um, Emma. It's, it's been a great pleasure of mine, one, to meet Nicoria and, and support her in her new role that I know she's going to do fantastic at and she's already doing fantastic at. But here, being able to support her in that and how do we make it better, not just for Cordera, but not just for BP, but across the globe. It's going to take that. It's going to take that type of collaboration, thoughts, diversity of thought from each of us, from all shades, colors, backgrounds, any of those things in order for us to make a difference in that space. And once we do that, for I may be focused on brown and black women at this particular point in time. But again, making it better for one makes it better for all. You got to start somewhere. And I absolutely am excited in knowing that I have someone at another company that I can call on, get information from, share information, work together to tackle this huge problem that's been a problem for a long time. And again, this is the time for us to shine. This is the time for us to bring attention to it. And we can't do it alone. Hence, being here with you guys to do this now, or you women to do this now. <laughs> so, Honestly, I just really want to jump in in the love end, because, particularly for Nicoria, because obviously she's absolutely amazing. But the fact that we're kind of getting together to have this conversation um, about this. I've also got on my notes a little bit about, which I think kind of tags into a bit about the point that Nicoria was talking about with um, you know, groups, social groups, which potentially are... Um, yeah, implicitly biased because you group around a particular kind of person and then you might recruit from that kind of group of people and how there's this myth of meritocracy but it's actually you're you're just working against the bias that is already there it's not necessarily it's not based on performance it's not based on talent it's based on the group of people that you already have within your social circle I've got on my notes a little bit about the problems of like white feminism as well and how this is a big a big example of it so um you can't have feminism when you can't when you're not speaking about people of color and um traditionally some of the feminist um work however wonderful has really served white people and that's and that's that's not right that's not what we need as a community as a group of people or as a world to be able to bring that um so it's very much around that and also bringing in trans women women who are not able-bodied that into the conversation and kind of questioning where we see it on a regular basis within that representation and also if I've got a couple of seconds more um just talking about like how diverse teams are fundamentally more productive than groups of teams which only represent one group and so hopefully we've all heard the example of the uh, Apple Watch um they created this wonderful Apple Watch with all of these functionality for health um down to like tracking your magnesium and sodium levels and all of that and it was a all-male group of people who were developing this they missed off 
one fundamental, very, very easy um, <laughs> health measure that, to track, which was all around menstrual cycles. And they got some controversy with it. And they got controversy and backlash on that. And that is because of this gap, this, um, whether it's um, a data gap, a gender a, a gap based on the representation that they've got. And we have that for um, colour, ability, um, LGBT, as well as gender. And it's one that we need to address. I'll add one more thing. I was having a conversation with one of our ERG leaders. And um, the thing that he always says is, we will know that we're winning when we're really not talking about these things anymore, right? When it's normal for all different types of representation to be in a room together and when it just feels organic when you join a firm to come in and you can look around and see whatever that intersectionality is that you bring to the table, you can sit across the table and see someone else that's that's living that life as well. Right, to that point, that's the reason why it's extremely important to not just put together white papers or a lot of marketing around what we're doing in that space. Let your actions speak for itself. And I'm not saying to not continue to promote it and market it, market what our objectives are, but we have to actually walk the walk and the proof will be in the pudding. The proof will be in the outcomes. Um, the proof will be in what people see and what people see is, is important clearly. So it's therefore we need to make sure that the actions are there and actually doing those things that we say that we wish to be or wish to become. Um, I think we should be aiming to effectively make chief diversity officers in the future entirely redundant, Nicoria. Might be a while, but we're, uh, we're aiming to ideally make the topic of diversity and inclusion so normalized that we don't necessarily need figures like leading it. We should be making it, we should be making ourselves and diversity networks not exist because it's just such a part of it. Um, we've got a while to go. I think you're going to be in a job for a bit of time, but um, <laughs> that's really working your way out of a job. I like it. I, I love it. <laughs> I, I'm happy to work my way out of a job in the next few years for sure. <laughs> And let's dive into that a little bit more. So you mentioned ERGs. There are other things that you are doing within an organization, right, to really address some of the problems that we've brought up today. I would love to understand from you all, how have you seen the corporate landscape change? And then what are each of you doing within your organizations to address these issues? So I'll, I'll take that one first. Um, so for me, I, I, I feel as if over the years um, prior to 2020 prior to uh, the unfortunate George Floyd incident, it was kind of, for me, watching the motions, people going through the motions, and it was about the numbers. It almost became a checkbox exercise in some in some arenas. And I think, not I think, the George Floyd incident followed on with a few others, um, really opened the eyes and of the corporate community. And these are the things that affect people that work for you, your customers. And so therefore it makes it hard to ignore. And when the conversation started around the people that sit next to you that you may think because they're in a corporate job, because they're in VP and SPP roles that they don't deal with those everyday things that may be happening out that you see in the news on the street, but in actuality they do. And it opened up a window for those conversations to really take place and therefore people to really put a mirror in front of corporate America to really put a mirror in front of itself and stop just looking at the dismal number numbers that you would see with the lack of women 
um, in the C-suite and or women of color in the C-suite. But not only that, these are systemic things that have been going on for years that have now fed into why we are where we are. And it forces and begs the opportunity for action. And therefore, this is the change that we've seen in corporate America. Me being me, I've always been pretty okay and open to speak my mind in a very respectful way, of course. But I think that it opens up the door for others to now come out of the shadows, not be silent. It makes it not be okay to be silent when you see these things happening. So therefore, it's forced our corporate, corporate world to change, to really change and change quickly and also make it visible of the change. You can't, it's no longer okay just to say that you're doing these things. And it's no longer okay for it to be a checkbox exercise. Now it's about putting the rubber to the road and making sure that those things meet and that they're heading in a direction that's gonna get us to where we need to be. And so for us within the company, not only do we um, have we created a framework for action around that, that's a part of our sustainability goals. It's a part of our reinvent strategy um, and our aims that we are not just looking at the numbers, but we're actually putting things into action. And for me within my company, it, it's around making sure that I'm accountable. I'm accountable as a person, regardless of what role I'm in. I have to be accountable and aware of what's going on around me and making sure that it is inclusive, that we are doing the right things by people, the morality of it all, and making sure that everyone understands that they have a role and a part to play in that. It's not just for the leaders, it's for everyone. Everyone needs to come along this journey because these are the things that affect you, your children, your children's children. These are the things that are going to continue to be in play. And we wanna break the, we wanna break the cycle, the cycle of what we've continued to see for so long because it needs to happen for morality purposes or just the sake of, again, it's not just good practice for our business, it's how our businesses are going to be successful. I will say something else that's changed. I think that in the time of what was formerly called the Great Resignation and now called the Great Upgrade, apparently, where there is so much fluidity and opportunities that are available to people, um, one of the biggest things that employees want and need is belonging. And so what are we doing to kind of put our dollars where our, our mouth is in terms of creating these really inclusive spaces and, and, and providing folks a, a real sense of belonging is one thing. The second thing is, if we look five years down the line, the leaders of today, I'm sorry, the leaders of tomorrow are the folks today that are our Gen Zs and, and millennials. And if we aren't able to understand how important justice and equality, fair compensation and all those things, um, even pouring into social justice and, and actually drawing a line on what your company stands for, if we can't in interpret that and build that into our growth plans, build that into our strategy, our companies are going to be set up to fail. So I think um, being able to deeply understand, listen, and be able to create the right structures and um, frameworks to help enable those things is very, very important. I jump in here uh, just to echo a couple of those points. Um, and yeah, I'm really glad to see that, particularly after um, Me Too and, and Black Lives Matter, that organizations have started to shimmy 
themselves along and get their acts together. But again, we just to reiterate, we need to make sure it's genuine action, like serving all people, regardless of um, race, class, religion, sexuality, or kind of all all around different levels of privilege. And one thing I can I can if anybody is listening to this from Quadera UK, they they will be cringing because I've said this so many times. But our overall strategy is to work out how how we embrace individuals by changing the environment so how do we change the environment that we are in to be able to accept these individuals and create that sense of belonging so diversity um in general is getting those people in the door measuring those statistics measuring those statistics to make sure that we are addressing the bias that already exists it's not finding bias it's addressing bias that is already there but inclusion is the other half of that coin so you you cannot have um diversity uh, can exist without inclusion we can have people there who aren't aren't comfortable aren't thriving and that inclusion needs to be brought into that as well so we are very much looking at the as well as um the wonderful things that Faria uh, mentioned how do we bring inclusive working um, practices whether it's in internally but also on our client accounts and how do we encourage people to adopt the same things that we really want to advocate for so how do we make sure things are accessible to different levels of ability how do we make sure that women are given an opportunity to speak when they're more likely to be interrupted than uh, uh, men I'm sorry I want to add on to that because (laughs) that's one of the things that you know, BP has said, uh, we've said for a long time, we want everyone to feel comfortable to bring their whole selves to work. Well, for a long time, it's kind of hard to do that when you don't have that psychological safety, that that fear of, of, of retaliation or fear of fear of whatever consequences or things that may happen. Should you speak up or should you be, bring your whole self to work? And so therefore you spend eight hours out of your day, 40 hours a week, and some of us more being someone that you're not, which then doesn't lend itself very well to making you comfortable to do the best job that you can be. And or you're so busy worried about how you're being perceived that you don't get a chance to really focus on being the best that you can be. And for a while, there, you know, people would be so focused on one, one of the things that you said, Emma, that I really wanted to jump on was just changing the environment. That is absolutely key. Changing the environment and not the person. It's not about changing the person because that's what makes that person unique. That's what makes that person shine. And that's what makes, brings the individuality, which is why we say that we need to be inclusive of all because those are the reasons why you are where you are or you're doing the job that you do because of the uniqueness that you bring to the table, which is the individuality piece to that. However, if people are constantly trying to change you to put you in a box that looks good, whether it be a 35 to 45 year old white male, English and or American, because that's what the typical corporate um, executive looks like, then how is that bringing your whole self to work? And how is that allowing you to be who you are as an individual who is a great, wonderful individual with whatever talents and unique talents and skill sets that you have? How can you possibly be comfortable to do that if I'm always being trying to, if someone's always trying to put me in a box or change me? So when people start to feel more comfortable, because for me, that's when my career really took off and and became extremely impactful, is when I stopped focusing on what someone else wanted me to be or what looked good to someone else or how I needed to fit in. I don't fit in and I'm okay with that. I'm always okay with that. I may be the loudest. I may have on the brightest clothes. I may have the pinkest 
fingernails, whatever the case may be. But it's me. It's who I am. And I do that unapologetically. And until people can feel comfortable to do that, then how can we ever expect people to feel safe and have that psychological safety to be able to bring their whole selves to work, to be able to work at their best? Because that's how I work at my best. And again, unapologetically, this is who I am. Take it, leave it, or however. And once people start to feel comfortable to do that, and we allow that space for people to do that, then that's when you get the best out of people, whatever that may be, engineer, accountants, whatever that may be, that's when you get the best out of those people because people feel comfortable to be who they are. I wish that our, our listeners could see how much beaming and nodding is, is happening on this video call here. Some great stuff. I did want to ask a, a question to kind of wrap up our discussion today, which I know none of us want to end. Um, but how would you suggest business leaders grow in becoming more inclusive leaders? For me, I well, I'll, I'll take it and I promise I won't go on because <laughs> yeah, we could be here all day talking about this. I, I wish more people would really look at how do you want to be treated? Do you want to be excluded? Do you want to have to worry about what people are thinking and, and um, worrying about managing how you're being treated versus managing the functionality or capability that you have within yourself and what you're able to do. How do you do that? And and so for me, it's about the humility, the being empathetic, being having. It's okay to um, live on the softer side, if you will. And it's not even the softer side. It's about treating people how you want to be treated. And I think if more people thought about that, it's like when I when people ask the question well, what do we need to do in order to, um, to really um, bring in ethnicity and be respectful of it? What do we need to do to change and bring more women to the forefront and make you comfortable? Well, ask yourself, what do you need? How do you want to be treated? Treat people the way that you want to be treated. And I feel like it's that each one teach one. Instead of everyone looking at it about what's in it for me, what's in it for me, how do I get to this? Looking at it from an individual perspective, what's in it for the greater good? What's in it for the right thing to do? Make it easy for people to choose to do the right thing by walking the walk and being an example, no matter what role you're in. So for me as a leader, to much whom is given, much is expected. That's my biggest thing. And if I've been blessed enough to be a leader of people, which is a huge blessing, then you don't wanna be that leader that doesn't put a smile on people's face. You don't want to be that leader that causes someone to be unhappy. You want to be that leader that brings a smile to people's face, make people happy or give them an avenue to be that. Be happy. So in order to do that, treat people the way you want to be treated. Talk to people how you want to be talked to. Talk to people how you want to talk to your daughter or your son. Or if you don't have children, your dog or something that you do love. How do you want to be treated and how do you want your loved ones to be treated? That's how you should treat people. And therefore, as a leader, if you do that, and if we have each person thinking about what is in it for the greater good versus what is in it for me, then I guarantee you we'll see lots of change. Yeah, just to, to expand on that, I think I heard a couple of things that really resonated with me, um, Keisha, what she said there. I think the common thread is seek to create more empathy 
as a person, right? It's understanding more about someone walking in someone else's shoes, what that might be like. It's about building more relationships with people that might not be in your quote unquote bubble. People become more human when they're able to connect at a deeper level. And that empathy can really create the change that Keisha was talking about, that individual change of heart, that individual growth that then can pour into um, the shift in the community. Now, just to echo all of these amazing points, because this has been so inspirational, um, my bit would be about how having more of these conversations, I know it's such a generic point to end with, but having these conversations and leaders in particular making it easy for people to raise these raise these points raise reasonable adjustments for themselves make environments more inclusive um a key point is discussing things such as well-being and inclusivity on projects programs um it signals your support for that general inclusion and it can create a sense of openness for people to raise other things for themselves being a role model in talking about diversity and inclusion can really make a difference for a lot of people who might have been marginalized or might have uh, been impacted by bias and just ending on uh, that diversity alone does not guarantee inclusion uh, we need to very much go out of our way to create those environments where people feel that like they belong i have one more thing to say and um if you are not a woman it's okay be an ally show up um, represent people. I have worked for only directly one woman in my entire career. And so the rest of the, my career has been helped shaped and poured into by males, white males in particular. And that's okay because when I look back on my career, their support meant the world to me. And so make sure that even if you aren't a woman or someone who identifies as a woman, figure out who you can um, partner with, who you can pull up, who you can bring into your organization. Be that voice in the rooms where maybe a woman is not. So so you, you're not um, off the, uh, you, you can't go into a corner and say, well, I'm not a woman, so I can't forward women's issues. It's almost the opposite. We need the support of men to break these biases. We need the support of folks that identify as male to really make a, a difference with us. So come alongside, build up, support, um, and look at yourself and figure out what you can do to go that extra mile with someone. There's enough seats around the table for us all to sit there. And if you're not, there's another table. That's just as equally as, as valuable as important. So it's about supporting one another. And like I said, the very first time that I, I met Nicoria, I felt like we were friends already and I'd known her forever and definitely ready to support. And I feel like that's what we have to do. It's not about what company you're with and how do we progress that forward? How do we, how do we progress the greater good forward? And that means it's going to take all of us to do that. So we need to support one another, support Emma, support all of us, support everyone. And for me, that means that now I, I don't have, it's not just me in the fold. I know that if I needed something, I could call on any one of these ladies on this call and they will support me, provide me with information and or I can give information. And that's how we have to be in order for this to work. We're not each other's competition. We are our sister's keepers. And so therefore, that's how we need to be. I'm not going to say anything else. That's a perfect way to end the conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you all for your thoughts. And it does hurt my heart a little bit to have to wrap us up. I did want to ask if there were any resources you wanted to share for our listeners, whether a woman or an ally, 
uh, for them to go for more information. We've been looking at internationalwomensday.com, and we have a few articles on our insights page at credera.com. But were there any other resources you would share with our listeners? I've got my library right next to me. Um, <laughs> um, I've got this book, The Authority Gap by Mary Ann Seikhart, uh, which is one I've just started reading. Didn't know how to put into words some of the things that uh, we've gone through. Um, I've also got Unwell Women, uh, which I would describe, uh, which is a good one to talking about um, uh, gender and racial bias throughout medicine through time and how it still is there. Uh, why I'm no longer talking to white people about race is a great chapter in there around feminism as well and kind of calling out some of the stereotypes that you should be recognizing within your day jobs um, and that's probably uh, more than that's more than enough for me to bring out right now. <laughs> that's awesome that's one of the drawbacks about not being at home recording I can't reach into my library behind me like Emma so that's awesome um, there's a YouTube video that uh, we shared uh, last year at our DEI summit it's called um, the danger of a single story and I think it was really enlightening across all different points of how if you're only familiar with walking this single story how everyone else um, you know your biases kick in and you don't really aren't seeking to understand that would be one and then I hear a lot of our women reading Brene Brown I think she does a great job in shaping empathy and what it's like to provide uh, amazing leadership but I never really hear of any of our male allies reading her so I guess that would be another uh, resource um, for some folks looking to create more empathy I'm gonna go to grassroots um, and I'm gonna say since since um, Nicole and Emma both talked about books and things like that I'm gonna challenge everyone here and everyone that's listening um, from a grassroots perspective. And that is is LinkedIn. Pick 10 women that's on LinkedIn that's either doing something and or promoting something. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be anything that's gonna cause any contradictory or cause any issues with your, with your company. I'm saying there's quite a few women that are out there that are doing inspirational um, uh, quotes and things on a regular basis. And I purposely will forward their things um, and or support, um, take, pick five, five women to support and support the things that they're doing. And or if you can't do that and you're not on, on, on LinkedIn or social media or whatever the case may be, then find someone. Like I said, um, Nicole, I'm going to be your biggest cheerleader <laughs> from this point forward. You know, I, I mean, I already started the day that I met you, um, but Emma as well, same thing. Pick some women to, that you can support. And not only that, we all have our own stories. Yeah. And being able to connect with different people and hear their stories, I learn so mm -hmm. much from other women and just other people in general, just talking about the topics, where they came from, what they're doing, how they're doing. You learn so much just by listening to other people. And I know it seems like I don't do a lot of listening because I talk a lot. <laughs> However... <laughs> when I do <laughs> take the time to get to know a different woman and hear their story, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And the things that you take away from that, the nuggets that you take away that you can reference later on, when you might be dealing with the same thing and seeing the similarities um, across the space helps you to connect. And those are things, those sometimes those are much more valuable than I can get out of any book um, is just being there and listening and, and um, offering that listening ear and or offering that advice. So I would encourage 
each of you to find a different woman that's not in your circle right now, five at least, whether that be on LinkedIn, whether that be whether that be out in, in the world of corporate America as you're doing your different jobs, find a different woman that you have not spoken with, that you have not connected with. Connect with that woman. Get to know that woman's story. Get to know some of the things in the background. And you'll be amazed at the things that you learn and the nuggets that you take away from that. And it's another person to be a cheerleader for. We all certainly have work to do. So thank you all so much for your insights. Just a big thank you to Nicoria, Keisha, and Emma for being on the podcast today and sharing your thoughts with me and with our listeners. I am the most excited that I've ever been to share one of these podcasts with the world. So thank you so much. Thank you to our listeners as well. And we hope that you'll join us for another episode of Technically Minded.